Have you often wondered about the site survey requirement listed in the Canadian Aviation Regulations? Maybe you don't really understand why we have to do it for drone operations, or what should be included. Does it have to be written down? Well, we're going to answer all these questions and more. Welcome to Drones Over Canada. I'm your host, Dave. Today's our second episode of our second season, and as I said, we'll be focusing all on site surveys. So stay tuned. All right, guys, so let's get into site survey. Now, what is a site survey? A site survey is basically a drone flight plan for your operation. It's required under the CARS 901.27 for both basic and advanced operations. It's a way of ensuring that the area you're operating is safe for you to do so. It's letting you really focus on that preparation and planning aspect of CRM that we've talked about before. A lot of the time, you can really fish out some problems early on in your flight planning, so you're not really worrying about them later on in your operation. There's a whole list of things that should be included in a site survey, and this comes straight from the CARS 901.27, so don't be afraid to look it up. I'm going to go through them one by one here, and I'm paraphrasing, but the first thing is the boundaries of area of operation. Now this should be a geographical location based off landmarks and a lat long. That's because VFR aircraft and even local air traffic control often use geographic references to describe their position. For example, they might see they're 12 miles north of a certain road, or they're traveling northbound following a certain road. This gives everybody a really quick idea of where you are and whether it's going to be important to them or not. The latitude and longitude, as we've talked about before, is important because it's a universal reference that anybody can find even if they don't know the area. It also helps you locate your position on charts so you can just see what kind of airspace you're operating in, what kind of airspace is nearby. When we're looking at our position, we're not just talking about horizontal position, we're also talking about vertical position. How high are we going to be operating? What kind of airspace might be below us or above us? Also very important for obvious reasons. Now the second thing that we're going to look at sort of ties into this, and this is the airspace and the applicable regulatory requirements. For example, are you going to be operating in uncontrolled airspace or controlled airspace? If it's controlled airspace, have you gone ahead and figured out who you need to get permission from and receive that permission? Have they given you any special air traffic control instructions? Now, what if it's special use airspace? You may even have to talk to other people, like the Department of Prisons, for example. Now, what if there's airspace that you're not going to be operating in, but it's nearby? That's very important. In the case of an emergency situation, like a flyaway, we need to know what airspace that's going to be entering, so we know who to warn. This is where the vertical part of the airspace also comes into play. A lot of the time, you might be operating in controlled airspace up to 400 feet, uncontrolled airspace, rather, up to 400 feet. But above that, maybe you're entering class B or C airspace. So it's a really good idea to get that mental model of where you are, where your operation is, and what's around you. The next few, I'm going to sort of tie in together because generally they're really applicable to each other. And this is the proximity of manned aircraft operations. This could be something as simple as a low-level air route, 
but it could also be something like a common sightseeing attraction. If you know you're operating nearby something where a lot of people will fly helicopters, for example, to have a look at, you really be, need to be cognizant of that. The proximity of aerodromes, airports, and heliports for the same reason. Obviously, these things are going to attract manned operations, and your operation could be a danger to them. So it's very important to have a very good idea where these airports and aerodromes are. Also, understand where they are in relation to you. What I would recommend is on your site survey, you list them with a direction from your area of operation. For example, to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. That way, in an emergency situation, if you had a flyaway to the north, you would know very quickly what airport operations could be impacted. So you're making the calls in the right priority to warn people. The last thing is the altitudes and routes used on the approach to and departure from the area of operation. Now, I'll be honest with you. For most drone operators, this isn't really going to come into play. With our vertical takeoff and landing ability of most commercial drones these days, there's very few opportunities where you actually will need to fly to your intended area of operation. However, it is possible. One example I could give is if you wanted to take pictures in a municipal park, but you weren't allowed to take off from that park, you might receive permission from a landowner across the street from the park. Therefore, you would actually have to take off and land from that area and transit over to the area of operation. Now, that'd be important to note because now you want to look at how you're going to do that. There may be a certain route that's safer, a certain altitude that seems safer, and so on. The location and height of obstacles like wires, mass buildings, cell phone towers, and wind turbines. Now, this is really important. A lot of the time, if you're doing your research beforehand, you might not know all of these. Sometimes there's people you could ask that have local knowledge. Otherwise, you might have to wait till you actually get on site and you can update your site survey. One of the important functions of these things is that if you have a return to home function, it's generally easier if you program that return to home so that it will fly automatically above those obstacles. Some have different sensors where they can sense the obstacle and then try and climb above it. But in the interest of saving battery or fuel, generally easier if it just goes above it from the start. And the last one is the predominant weather and environmental conditions for the area of operation, as well as the horizontal distances from persons not involved in the operation. It's important here that we have a look at the weather and the NOTAMs to make sure that none of those are going to be conflicting with our operation. Defining how far we're going to operate from people is one of the main determinants of if we're going to be operating under basic or advanced operations. So those are both important. Now we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. When we get back, we're going to talk about some of these things in a little more detail and whether or not they really apply to your operation. Drone Air is an aerial services company located just north of Barrie in the town of Midhurst. Drone Air offers nationwide remote learning with both basic and advanced RPAS courses available, full of practical tests and exercises to make sure you really understand the information 
and you're able to apply it to your intended operation. For more information, visit DroneAir at www.droneairtoday.com or text or call 705-990-1091. So one of the biggest questions I get asked a lot about site surveys is, do we actually have to sit down and write everything down every time we want to fly our drone? Mm, Yes or no. So I'll tell you from experience, when you get started, it's definitely better to write down almost everything. A lot of my students will actually sit down with sort of a template they've created, and this can be individualized. This isn't something that's standard across the board but where they've looked at the Canadian Aviation Regulation requirements and they've decided on some form or way to organize themselves. And then for their operations, especially at the beginning, they can sort of use it as a checklist and go through and fill in the blanks. Now, I think that's great because you're not going to forget anything. One of the complaints I've heard, however, is that, look, I just want to fly on this field that I fly all the time. I know exactly where it is. So do I have to sit down and write out a site survey every time? And the answer is no. If you're familiar with most of the things on the site survey, your responsibility as the pilot in command has actually already been satisfied. What you do need to do is update things like weather, or maybe there's more people around. Ensure that you check those NOTAMs. And if there's anything that's changed since you've been there last, you want to assess it but there's no actual obligation to write it down. In fact, as you get more experienced, you're probably gonna write down less and less, and that's okay. You're never gonna have an inspector show up and demand to see your site survey. However, if anything were to happen, one of the questions you would be asked by investigators was, did you perform a site survey? How did you perform it? What did you consider? So let's keep that in mind. Now, another question that I get asked a lot is how would a site survey differ if you were applying for an SFOC, or Special Flight Operations Certificate? And I guess that depends on what you usually do for your operations. But a well-thought-out site survey is a very important component of a SFOC application. And that's because Transport Canada would like to see that you've considered all the risks. Now, there's other parts of an SFOC application that I'm not going to touch in on this because we've already covered in a previous podcast. But generally, the more advanced operation you're doing, the more advanced your site survey should be. Now, if I had to rate all my questions that I get on a scale of 1 to 10, that 10 being the most asked, here it is. Do I need to have a written site survey for my flight review? Technically, the answer is no. However, I will go out on a limb here and strongly recommend it. A huge part of the flight review is the flight reviewer assessing your site survey process. It's very hard for them to do that if they have nothing to look at. They'll basically be forced to ask you a whole lot of questions covering everything that's listed in the cars. Now, I don't know about you, but my memory is just not that good it's very, very likely that I'll leave something out. Hence why I recommend, write it down. This doesn't have to be a difficult part of the flight review. And you can actually do about 95% of it before you even show up for the flight review. 
that shows the flight reviewer that you have good CRM. And like I always like to touch on, preparation and planning. I think we've covered a lot of really good stuff about site surveys on this episode. It's important to keep in mind a few kind of key items. The first is that the goal of this is to make your operation as safe as possible. It doesn't mean that it's a huge paperwork exercise every single time. Especially as you get more experienced, you may be able to get away with a lot less paperwork. Either way, it'll take you a lot less time to flight plan than it did before. As an aside, as a private pilot, it can often take hours to plan a short flight. As you get more experienced, you could plan that same flight equally safe in about 10 minutes. You're not really cutting corners, but what you've learned to do is streamline your process. And that'll happen to everybody. This is no different. Now, the second thing to keep in mind with the site surveys is that the more work you can do on the ground before you're flying, the better for everybody. You never want to compromise your mission or your objective because you haven't really thought about enough things beforehand. So try and use the site survey process as an opportunity to really think out your operation. Realize what threats that might might come up and how you're going to mitigate those threats. That's what this whole exercise is really about. And as I said, it isn't really spelled out very clearly by Transport Canada, but that is really the goal of this exercise. So be safe. If you haven't followed us on Facebook already, check out our group, Drones Over Canada. Thanks for listening.